Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. And everyone, open up your Bibles to John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible today, don't worry. The rest of the verses are going to be up on the screen for you. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. How many of you guys have been enjoying this I Am series? So if you're just joining us, we've been in a series entitled I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And uh, something happens when we begin to see Jesus more clearly. Uh, life changes in a dramatic way. And, uh, and this, this phrase, I am, is a phrase that God uses to describe himself all throughout the narrative of Scripture. And it's, it's really exciting because this isn't just like any name to describe yourself. God is saying, I am. I'm it all. I'm the first, the last, the beginning and the end. I am the infinite, almighty creator, God of the universe. I am. Who are you? I am. <laughs> I am everything you're not. And I am everything you need. Hello, somebody. John chapter 10, verse 11. Go with me. It says this. I am the good shepherd. Everybody say good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I want to speak to you today from the subject of fear less. Fear less. How would life be if you just feared a little bit less? Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. As we dive in today, God, that you would open up our hearts to see you clearly. God, I pray overall that you would help us to move closer to you today. Because we know if we're closing, moving closer to you, we're going to move closer to others. And that's where life is best lived. And so help us to see you, Jesus. Unpack your word in such a clear way. And may every word from my mouth be from your heart. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Uh, have anybody, has any of you ever been in a, in a moment or found yourself looking at something that was so much bigger than you that it kind of took your breath away in a scary way. Like you actually looked at it and it was the vastness of whatever it was. Maybe it was a challenge. Maybe it was a, a battle. Maybe it was a circumstance. Or maybe it was an object that just seemed so much bigger than you. I remember Jackie took me to the Grand Canyon for my very first time. And for whatever reason, I've grown up in the Bay Area my entire life, never been to the Grand Canyon. And I always had this image in my mind that it was just like this crack in the earth, like kind of a small crack that you could, you know, look on this side, maybe throw a softball across to the other side. And I remember when we arrived and I'm standing on the edge of the precipice of the Grand Canyon, I remember looking into that big hole in the earth, taking that gulp in my throat and feeling this sense of fear and overwhelmingness that this capacity, that the capacity of this canyon is far bigger than me. Now, fear started to rise up because I'm a little bit weird. Like when I'm standing on the edge of things, I always think of worse possibilities. I think of what if this chain breaks and I fall off this thing? What rock would I hit first? What, what, would it, what, would have, what would it feel like in my stomach? So as everybody else is enjoying the view, I'm thinking about what's it going to look like to, for this thing to swallow me? And, uh, but, but it's amazing when you're, when you're in the midst of something so big and you feel so small, there's a, ten, there's a tendency to feel a sense of fear. Uh, I, I've been reading a, a book again by Francis Chan. 
and it's called Crazy Love. Now, in this book, he tells a story of these Korean missionaries who were captured by the Taliban. Well, long story short, uh, there's 23 of them, and they're facing probably the biggest challenge of their life. They're, they're facing death for their faith. And they know that death is probably certain. And so they all recommit their life to Jesus. And there was this sense that they rallied around. They said, you know what, listen, we are willing to give our lives for God's glory. And they became so pumped up, they started to fight for who was going to go first or who should die first. One of them was like, I'm the oldest, I should go. Another one was like, hey, I brought us here, so I should probably go first. And so long story short, uh, they were getting ready to separate all of them, to, to isolate them. But one of the 23 had a Bible that they yet to confiscate. And so he broke it into 23 parts and handed it out to each missionary that they could be encouraged by God's word and that God's spirit would come and just, just fill them up in this trying time. Now, the government was negotiating and trying to figure out a way to, to rescue uh, this group. Now, in that process, two of them were executed. And the rest of the 21 came back, uh, to, went back to South Korea. Now, as, as Francis Chan was interviewing one of the pastors that was on that trip, he asked him, he said, uh, or the pastor began to tell him, he said, you know what was so strange? He said, each one of those 21, almost all of them came back to me at a certain point and said, don't you ever wish that we could go back there? Because we felt a closeness and an intimacy with God in the midst of that overwhelming situation that we just can't seem to find in our comfort and safety. And so as I was looking at that again this last week, I thought, man, isn't that, that's so amazing that, that there's an intimacy and a closeness with God that can swallow fear. So normally in my message prep, I, I'm, I'm doing a, a multiplicity of things. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have personal studies going on. I have, you know, directions that I feel God has taken our church. Well, I've been in a, in a, in a special kind of, um, a special study of mine personally about King David and his mighty men. Now, if you're new to church, you may have never heard of King David. He's famously known for his battle with Goliath. That might put things in perspective. But you might have never heard of his mighty men. So let me kind of give you a little bit of context. Uh, king David was anointed as king as a teenager by the prophet Samuel. And God had said, I reject the current king Saul. I'm anointed a new king. His name is David. Well, how many of you guys know that's pretty awesome? God anoints you to be king over a nation. Well, that's awesome for David, but it wasn't too awesome for King Saul. And so King Saul wasn't too excited about that, so he began to pursue David's life to kill him, to take him out of the game because he didn't want any threat or rule to his kingdom. Now, it's kind of interesting because even though David had a promise from God to be king, he still had to go through some valleys. He still had to face some challenges. He still had to face some dark, dark times that it looked like that promise was never going to come to fruition. But how many of you know that uh, every, before a promise is fulfilled, many times there's a process? And so, so David was walking through this process. He was banished from his homeland. And the guys that rally around him, the Bible says that these guys were distressed, in debt, and discontent. How many of you guys know when you're struggling, those people tend to hang around, right? How many of you guys, you guys have some of those people in your life right now? They may be sitting with you today. Don't look around. 
<clears throat> but these guys rally around David, and what ends up happening is under his leadership, they later become David's mighty men. Or in other words, they become the Israelite army's military elite. Let me say it this way. They became the Navy SEALs of their day. But the interesting part is, is we don't know too much about these guys. But the little that we do know, we see that they were standing and they would run into challenges and battles that the rest of the army would want to run away from. Every time these guys are mentioned, you see an army fleeing away and you see sometimes these guys standing alone or running into the battle all by themselves. To stand and to fight. They're standing when everybody else is running. They're running into what everybody else is running away from. And it just seemed to me that these guys feared a little bit less than the rest of the army. And I started to ask myself this question, like, what gave these guys confidence like that? What gave them a fear to run into the very challenges that everybody else was running away from? And so I think we get a little bit of a hint in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And go there with me. It's going to be on the board for you. Now, we're going to look at one of David's mighty men named Eleazar. It says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines, gathered at past a man in for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. How many of you guys know it's never good when you're on a battlefield and everybody runs away? That actually happened to me one time. I was getting jumped and all my friends ran. Right? I look up and they're running down the street and I'm getting beat up. It's wrong. Don't ever do that to your friends. He goes on next. He says, but Eleazar stood his ground. And struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. But here is the key in all of this verse, in all of chapter 23, is that the Lord brought about a great victory that day. I started asking myself, what did David teach these guys? Because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't say, hey, David took these guys that were in debt, distressed, and discontent, and this is how we developed them. It doesn't say that. It just shows them in debt, distress, and discontent. All of a sudden, it shows them fearless, confident, mighty. And it says, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And so as I was thinking about this, I said, what causes somebody to run into the very challenges of the day that everybody else is running away from? How were these guys running in to the fight, confident, unafraid? And I really, it really only comes down to, to one conclusion is that these guys knew that they were standing in or running into something that was far greater than themselves. Like, how does one guy take out 300? They knew that they were running into something far greater than themselves, and so they had to depend on something far greater than themselves. And so we see that these guys would run into the battle, and they weren't confident and dependent on their sword, their skills, or their ability. No, they would run in to the battle, not focused on their capacity, but focused on God's capacity. Because you see, every one of these battles is a miracle moment. It doesn't say that they brought about a great victory. It says that the Lord brought about a great victory. They just stood in the gap and watched God fight the battle and watched God strengthen them and watched God take their limitations, combine it with his capacity, and a victory was won. I started to think, well, well how did, how did, what was like the key? Like, what did David teach them? And, and I started to, to reminisce on David's life. And one of the key things that you see about David, and it's a very important uh, part of a leader, is that leaders always go first. 
Leaders always go first. And so this, is, this was like David's life. Like this could be a story from David's life. Hence, David and Goliath. The entire army is afraid of this one giant. David is a, is a 17-year-old boy. Shows up on the battle and, and the entire army is running away from Goliath. And David is like, what in the world? What are you guys so afraid of? And David runs into what everybody else is running away from. And David runs, and he, he looked at the, the big giant. He says, I didn't come to you with spear or javelin. I didn't come to you with my sword. Right, he gets a little thug, thuggish on him. I didn't come to you with spear or javelin. I come to you in the name of the God of the armies of, of Israel, the armies of heaven. And today, he will deliver you into my hand. Now, now, that sounds amazing and confident and fearless, but I started to even trace back a little bit further. That's not where it started for David. Like, what was he teaching these men? What was he instilling in these guys that caused them to run into something that was far greater than themselves? You see, David's confidence didn't start on the battle. It started on the backside of the hill country where he was, you know, doing a, a mediocre job, as you would in that day. It was really looked down upon, called a shepherd. And he was tending his father's sheep. But on the backside, he began to develop something I, and which I believe to be the key of what impacted these guys' life. David began to understand. David unlocked something. Something was unlocked in David's heart that he began to instill in these men. It's the, it's the key that would unlock this faith in the midst of fear. It's the key that would unlock limitations um, in our life in light of God's capacity. And this was the one thing that I believe that made these leaders so great. The very first thing that made them so awesome, that made them stand out. We look at their battles and everybody's like, oh, man, that's incredible. I could be like gladiator. The one thing that David taught them, it's found in one word. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Close. David drew close to God on the backside of that hill country. And this is one of the things that I've come to learn and understand and something I'm still learning. And if you're taking notes, you're going to really want to jot this down. Why was this so important? Why did David teach his men to be close to God? And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down because closeness with God creates distance from fear. Closeness with God creates distance from fear. And so like some of you walked in today and you're feeling it. Like, like maybe God has put a dream or a promise in your life, but you're stuck in the process. And it doesn't look like anything's changing. It doesn't look like it's going to come to pass. You're even questioning, man, did God really say this? Is this really true? Maybe I should just kind of settle. Some of you came in today and you're facing a battle on every side. For some of you, your battle is mediocrity. Ooh, hello, somebody. Some of you today, you walked in and you feel like, man, you're in such a dark valley. The valley is so big. The shadows are so overwhelming that you just can't even imagine seeing a glimpse of light. Just in a moment, whether good or bad, something that's far bigger than you. And one of the temptations is when we find ourselves in a moment that's far bigger than us, when we find ourselves facing a challenge, whether good or bad, that's far bigger than us, the temptation is to run. But what if today, what if today the very thing that you're running from God is calling you to run to. What if the very thing you're trying to avoid, God is saying, I want you to stand. I want you to stay. Because the, the temptation is when we're facing a challenge, whether good or bad, that's bigger than us, that's, that's overwhelming, we're very mindful in that moment of our limitations. 
And so it's so easy to begin to settle in fear than to step in faith. It's so much easier to settle in fear than to begin to move forward and step in faith. And so some of you today, you're probably listening to me, you're like, all right, fear and faith. I'm going to try harder tomorrow not to be afraid. Like some of you really feel like you feel like that right now. Like, okay, Pastor Matt, I get it. I'm going to try harder not to be afraid. I'm going to try harder. Like, I know your, your cool stories and examples about something bigger than me. And um, I'm just going to try not to be afraid. And I would propose to you that's the wrong approach. I would propose to you it's not about you trying harder not to fear. It's about you moving closer to God. Why? Because as you move closer to God, it begins to create distance from fear. And you start to step out of your limitations and abilities into God's unlimited capacity. And that's where miracles happen. That's where life changes. And that's where you go from settling in this place to fear to walking and living in faith. And that completely changes the Christian life. If you ever thought the Christian life was boring, ask yourself, you probably have settled. And you're probably not stepping. And so God has called us not to settle in fear, but to step in faith. Now, this is awesome because it doesn't matter whether God has put a dream on the inside of you like he did David. And you're in the process and you can't see it. It doesn't matter if you are a a Korean missionary captured by the Taliban. Or you're like David's men in a fight surrounded on every side, outnumbered. See, see, none of that matters. It doesn't matter where you're at as long as you are moving closer to God and you're, be, you're becoming more aware of his capacity. All of a sudden, your limitations start to fizzle in light of who he is and you start stepping instead of settling and that changes life forever. Now, I know whenever we do a sermon like this, it's like, okay, yeah, I want to get closer. Tell me how to get closer. And for some of you, this may be your first time at church. You're like, whoa, this guy's crazy. He's pacing. He's like, what is, what is happening right now? But listen, if this is your first time, then, then maybe things like, like, like opening up your Bible and praying, maybe, maybe, maybe that's kind of foreign to you. And those are great ways to move closer to God. But listen, there, there, are, many, there are many who are in this place today that you, you know that. Like you know that opening up God's word is going to move you closer. You know that spending time with God in prayer and it's going to move you closer. You, you, you know these things, but it's, you're still not moving closer. And so I would propose that sometimes it's not the how that we need to start with, but rather the why. Why do we need to move closer? Because I think if we can answer the why, it's going to propel us to the how because we're going to see that moving close to God was never supposed to be an option, but rather a necessity. That you weren't created to be far from God. In fact, it's the exact opposite. You were cre- God created us to be close. Like you were never meant to, to do life apart from him. God created you and wired you in such a way that you are to be close. In fact, he tells us in Colossians that you were made by him and for him. And so anytime we're, we're not close, we're outside of the way God designed us. We're outside of that. And what's going to happen is we're going to find ourselves bucking up and pressing up against a ton of limitations. A ton of limitations. But when we can start to see that, man, it's not an option to move close to God. It's a necessity. And not only a necessity, it's the greatest privilege on the planet. 
Like the God of heaven, like if we really believe that he hears our prayers, the God who created the, the universe, don't you think we would talk to him a lot more? But I think sometimes we look at our circumstances and we look at our limitations. And because we're not moving close, we can't see his capacity and so we settle. And so when it, when it comes to our need for God, I think that the Bible breaks it down in how we relate to God in such a special way. And I think this really paints a picture of how much we need him. And the illustration that, one of the greatest illustrations that the Bible uses is this example of sheep and shepherd. The Bible refers to us as sheep, and he refers to, uh, Jesus refers to himself as what? The, the good shepherd. Now, sheep are interesting animal. And it's kind of, I mean, I, I've st- always said before, how come God couldn't like, like, Name us like pit bulls or something. Like, you know, I'm the shepherd and you're the pit. But he calls us sheep. And, and the problem with sheep, what it does is it paints a great picture of dependency. It paints a great picture of how much a sheep need their shepherd. Why? Because, you see, sheep need a shepherd because, number one, they get lost. Sheep get lost. Uh, there was a, a moment in Spain where 1,300 sheep went rogue because their shepherd fell asleep. 1,300 sheep moving into the, to a city in Spain. Yes, I know, it's intense. <laughs> moving into a, a city in Spain because the shepherd fell asleep. When they, when they found the shepherd, he was still snoozing. But we, sheep just get lost. And, and, and many times we find ourselves with lack of direction. Or we think we know, don't we? I don't need God. I got this. I know. I, I know. But it's amazing because Proverbs lets us know, the wisest man on the face of the planet, he lets us know that sometimes there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. In other words, listen, you may think that you have like the ultimate direction, but apart from God, your direction will always have limits. Will always have limits. In fact, let me show you a quick picture. This is 400 sheep in Turkey that fell off a cliff to their slaughter. Let me rephrase that. They walked off. They saw one go off, and the other one was like, all right. 400 times. Where is that shepherd? Right, so not only do sheep, they get lost. Let's move on. Sheep not only get lost, but number two, they get attacked. Sheep are like the only animal on the planet that don't have a defense mechanism, right? I mean, all of other God's creation, they have at least a, maybe a fang. They have, they, they may have no legs, but they have fangs. They have claws. Some even have scents, but not sheep. Sheep, like, they can't even run fast. And so you look, you look at a sheep and the best they got as they're getting attacked is they're just running as fast as they can, which isn't very fast, saying, this is bad. That's all they got. That is all they got. Second service is alive and well. So they need a shepherd. But not only do they get attacked, they also get dirty. They get filthy. Matter of fact, in Britain, some of the shepherds, in, in, in some British shepherds, they now, with technology, submerge their sheep fully in antiseptic once in a while. Like head and all, like baptized in antiseptic. How many of you guys know 
The sheep don't like that, but they have like a sheep dog right there like, you get out, sheep, I'm going to bark, and then they get back in. <laughs> it's totally not how Jesus leads us. But I think the truth is we find ourselves in a mess, don't we? Sometimes our lives are messy. Like if we were to dive into some of our relationships right now, we'd probably use a little antiseptic, right? If we were to look in some of our personal lives and some of the things that we probably use a little cleaning up, right? Some of you guys are here today, you're like, man, I can't even believe I'm here. Some of you guys don't even remember last night. Hello. <laughs> but but, but, but here, here's the deal, is that we need a shepherd to, to cleanse us and to wash us and to clean us up. And then let me just give you one more. Sheep, uh, they not only get lost, they get attacked and get dirty, but they also get stuck. Like sheep are so stubborn. And they just lack a little bit of sense to where if there's a little plot of grass wedged in between or on the other side of two wedges of a rock or, or, or a cliff, they'll actually squeeze in there to try to get that food. And when they get stuck, they won't walk backwards to unstuck themselves, right? They'll just keep moving forward and get more stuck. And I thought, man, how, how, how much, listen, I know we don't like to be compared to sheep, but I think if we're all honest... There's moments, that, and there's, there's, there's certain things, patterns in our life right now that we should be backing out of, but we keep running into, and we're stuck. Like, we find ourselves, we're getting ourselves more lodged in some, some unhealthy things, habits, hang-ups, addictions, thought patterns, that the shepherd has to come and pull us out of that mess and renew some things and transform some things and retrain some things. It's huge. And so, so when you look at this, it's very easy to see that sheep need a shepherd. Now, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus is he looks at all of these limitations. He's mindful of all of our limitations. And he speaks in John chapter 10, verse 11, right into the midst of our limits and overwhelms our limitations with his capacity as he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays his life down. For his sheep. Now, Jesus is, is, is kind of comparing himself to false shepherds. And in this particular context, it's in regards to religious leaders that were leading people astray. They, were, they, they, they weren't, they were claiming like, yeah, we're good shepherds, but really we want your money and we want to, right? They, they were leading people astray. But I think outside of religious shepherds, there's a lot of shepherds that we follow that aren't healthy and can't go the distance. Shepherds like approval. Shepherds like promiscuity. Shepherds like performance, right? I mean, we could go down a list of shepherds that we follow that promise they can go the distance but never deliver. The only thing that we discover at the end of their promises is we still have a lot of limitations. And everything they promise to fix and lead us to, it, it doesn't turn up to, to be as it was. In other words, for a sheep, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And so, so Jesus said, he speaks right into the midst of that, right into the midst of our limitations. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I, listen, I'm not here to rob you or take from you. I don't want something just from you. I want something for you. And he speaks right into the midst of all of those limitations and says, I mean this so much that I am the shepherd that will lay my life down, lays his life down for his sheep. Now, this last week I was at Pyology in Dublin. Now, if you don't know what pyology is, pyology is like chipotle for pizza. It's awesome. 
And, uh, and we, were, we just got done eating with a couple of friends, and I was holding my daughter's hand. I was sitting in the chair holding her like a football, legs hanging over my arm, you know, facing outward. And so I get up out of the chair. It's time to go. And I kind of pop up, and I'm just always, like, rushed. I'm just always kind of, like, intense. Like, oh, let's go. And so I, I get it. We go, and I turn around, and my, my, middle, my middle child, Abby, is right there. And so, I, you, you know, when you're in motion, you're like, I'm going to trample this little girl. And so instinctively, I'm, I don't want to trample her, so I kind of pivot like a football player. And I have Hannah in my arms, right? And then I start doing this, which is not like a football player. And I know in that moment, like, I'm going to fall. And I got Hannah in my arms. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that her capacity is far, much, is far more limited than mine is. That she's not going to be able to take a fall like I can. She's way too fragile. She's way too vulnerable. And so like a good dad, I tuck her, I tuck her legs in, and all this is happening in like a split second. I tuck her, her whole body in like a ball, and instead of going to the side, I just roll over like this. So I'm like, you're not going to hit the ground, babe. I got you. And it wasn't even a fall like, you know, you hit your legs and your backside and then your arms. Like I timbered <laughs> with momentum. And so the whole restaurant, all you hear is, oh, and the worst part, the worst part about it is everybody's standing like, oh, but nobody helps me. <laughs> so I end, up, I end up telling, hey, the good Samaritan does not live in Dublin. <laughs> he, he doesn't exist. And so Hannah was, Hannah was, un, she was, she was unharmed. She got a little bit scared, cried for about 30 seconds, and she was good. But, but no, no joke, I bruised a couple of ribs. Yeah, like I sneezed this morning and almost died. <laughs> my side. I've never fallen like that in my life. But then, you know, a pastor, I'm like, I'm using this. I'm going to use this. <laughs> and and, and it, was, it was this crazy point because in that moment, my capacity began to wrap around her limitations. And, and I took the hit so she wouldn't have to. I got bruised so she wouldn't have to. And what Jesus is saying is, is this. Listen, I'm not a shepherd that wants something from you. I'm a shepherd that wants something for you. And, and what he did on the cross, which isn't talked about in churches too much anymore, but the cross is, is the greatest news on the planet. The cross is, is God wrapping his arms around our limitations with his capacity and taking the fall, taking the hit, taking the blow, being bruised and beaten so that you and I could go free, unharmed, unscathed. That's, you should clap to that. <laughs> But the greatest, the greatest part about that is he, he, not just, he not only died on the cross, but listen, he rose again on the third day because, listen, not even death could limit his capacity. Infinite capacity. And so I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, that preaches really well, but I'm, I'm going to work tomorrow. I'm going to school tomorrow. So, like, how does this work out? How does this flesh out in my life? How, how does God work this out in my life? And if you're taking notes... I want you, to, want you to jot this down, is that his identity becomes our capacity. That because of the cross, because of his death, because of the resurrection, because he wrapped his capacity around our limitations, his identity now becomes our capacity. Let me explain. So if, if you were, uh, this last couple of weeks, Jack and I took a trip to San Diego. Love San Diego. I feel like we should plan a campus there one day. It's awesome. And... Uh, and so we, the first thing we do is we got to go to the airport. First thing we hit in the airport is TSA. 
I have favorite everywhere I go except TSA. <laughs> I, I always have to walk through like you get doused in radiation, and then they still pat me down all the time. I'm like, why couldn't you just pat me down in the first place, and I don't have to get, you know, doused and grow an extra arm, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so never find favor with them. But the first thing that they ask for as you're passing through TSA is what? They ask for your identification. Why? Because identity is really important. And when it comes to flying, identity definitely determines capacity. If you don't have the right identity, you're going to be limited and you're not going to be able to go the distance to where you're supposed to go. Like if I showed up to TSA and they said, Matt, can I see your ID? I said, here you go. Here you go. You know what they're going to say to me? Just like they do every time. Sir, can you please step aside? Because they're looking for marks. They're looking for the proper credentials. They're looking for aspects on my ID that corresponds with the United States government. Because it's, it, it's a safety issue. It, it's, they, they have to make sure that all of that stuff is dialed in. And I think it's pretty awesome that Jesus' credentials are pretty amazing. The fact that he fulfilled 300 prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he even came. Like the chances of one man fulfilling all those prophecies is, if you, is, is as if you filled the state of Texas with silver dollars three feet high, marked one with a sharpie, and sent a blind man in to go and get it. I mean, he, just, just incredible. That's pretty, that shows a lot of credentials. And, and there's something that we need to lean into on this. And I think the, the best picture I can give you is when Jackie and I got married, when she said yes. Um, when we got married, the Bible says that a mystery happened, a mystery of two becoming one, right? God taking different people with traits, talents, and gifts, and all this stuff, and brings them together complete as one. Now, when you get married, what also happens is Jackie takes my name. It took her six months to take my, to change the name. That's what I said. What? Are you sure about this? And, uh, but once she, listen, but once we said I do, all of my properties, everything that I own now belongs to her. Everything that I have belongs to her and vice versa. And I want us to, to lean into this because Jesus speaks of this mystery happening with, happening with us and him and the Father and the Spirit. Look what it says in John chapter 17, verse 21. Jesus is speaking, and he says, listen, Father, I pray that all of them may be one, speaking of us, just as you are in me and I am in you. Look at this. Look at this beautiful passage. Look what this says here. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on in verse 23. Look what he says. He says, Jesus is speaking again. He says, I in them, meaning Jesus in us, Christ in us, Christ in you, Christ in me, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as I have loved, even as you have loved me. Now, this is a beautiful picture because the moment that you decided to follow Jesus the moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, in that particular moment, everything, listen, you took his name. He gave it to you. He gave you his name. That means that, that everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. 
Oh, man, it gets really rich. Peter says it like this. Peter says, this is one of Jesus' right-hand guys. He says it like this. You get to now partake in the divine nature. Everybody focus. Look at me. He said, you get to partake in the divine nature. Paul the Apostle, guy used to hate Christians, has an encounter with Jesus, loves them now, right? Paul the Apostle said, when, 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 when that took place, when you put your faith in Christ, we inherited all of the promises that Jesus earned are now yes for us in Christ. That's, that's a, like, just let that sink in for a moment. Like his name belongs to you. Everything that he has belongs to you. Now let me show you how this plays out practically. If, if you are in him and he is in you, then when you step up or you wake up or you're facing a moment that's far bigger than you or you're facing a dream that looks far beyond your capacity, that you see your limitations all over, as you step into a battle and you're in a fight and you're looking at it and it's just, you never felt more limited in your life and you start to say things like, man, I'm just so insecure. And the Lord whispers back and he says, yes, you are, but I am not. I am completely secure. Therefore, neither are you. Or you look and you say, I am afraid, and God says, I am perfect love that casts away all fear. You may be afraid, but I am not, therefore you don't have to be. And let's go down the list. I don't, I don't feel adequate. I don't feel able. I don't feel pretty. I don't feel. It's almost as if we're taking his name in vain. Because no longer, no longer is that, does that, no, no longer are you limited by your identity because now there's, there's infinite ability because your capacity is now found in his identity. And his identity takes you the distance. Come on, are you guys with me? Somebody shout no limits. No limits. Now, again, I, I'm very, like, careful because I know this preaches really well. And it's like, yeah, I have no idea what to do with that. But it's, it's awesome, he and me. Uh. And so let me, let, me, let me bring this really practical for us today. And we're going to kind of land the plane. So, so how does this work out in our life? Like how, how do we, is it, is it we need to try harder? No, ladies and gentlemen, we need to move closer. Listen, that's why we exist as a church. To move people closer to God and closer to others. Why? Because that's where life is best lived. That's where, listen, closeness with God creates distance from fear. I don't want you to settle. I want you to keep stepping. But listen, I want you to step, though, in the right direction. And that's only going to happen if we like David. Now, this was, this was David's key. What was David's key to being close to God? Like, what, what was David's, like, secret sauce? It's super simple. Now, just as, just as this pastor in Korea ripped 23, 23 sections out of the Bible to encourage those missionary, I want you to look at the first verse of Psalm 23, which is going to lead us into 23 days of prayer and fasting. Because, listen, and we're only going to look at the first verse because this, this, this chapter is full of everything. No, no, let me, let me say it this way. David's secret sauce to being close is he simply said, the Lord is my shepherd. Because sheep can't follow two shepherds, David said, I've unfollowed every false shepherd. Like he went on his Facebook and said, 
not following any of you people. Like, he would be the worst at Instagram. Because <laughs> David said, I only follow one. The Lord is my shepherd. Not just every, you know, not just, oh, he's for everybody. Yeah, yeah, all that's great. But, but let me just say how personal it is for me. He is my shepherd. This is how David stayed close. David knew that a sheep could not follow two shepherds. David was a shepherd himself. He understood that. He said a sheep cannot follow two shepherds. They'll only follow one shepherd. He said, so I unfollowed every other shepherd that one may be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And look what David said. I have all that I need. What David said is no matter what God is calling me to, I have unlimited capacity because it's not dependent on my limitations and it's not dependent on my ability. My, I, his identity determines my capacity and he is my shepherd. So wherever he leads me, he will provide and he will make sure that I have everything so that I lack nothing. Amen. Now, now let, me, let me break this down and we're going to close. When you look at this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he, he leads me by, uh, to, to green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Like, we want all that stuff, don't we? Like, like, we want him to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. We want our cup to overflow. We want all of that. Here's the, here's the difficulty. The only way you get that is if he's your shepherd. Like, we want all the benefits. We just, we want all the benefits of the shepherd. We just don't want the leadership of the shepherd or the lordship of the shepherd. But he's saying, listen, follow me because I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And as you're close to me, it's going to create distance from fear, because closeness with me creates distance from fear, and you're going to be able to step into situations that are far beyond you. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, our responsibility as a church in this city, our responsibility as a church in this region, in this world, that's far bigger than us. But it was far greater than the disciples. But they weren't going with their limitations or their capacity. They were relying upon his identity as they encountered and ran into the places and challenges of the day where everybody else was running away from. And so I have two questions for you today. What is your biggest challenge? Jot these down. What is your biggest challenge? And how will you move closer to the good shepherd in the midst of? What is your biggest challenge you're facing? What scares you right now? What are you running away from? Could it be that God is calling you to run into that very place? Could it be that? And lastly, how will you move closer to the good shepherd in the midst of your greatest challenge. The answer is not to try harder. The answer is to move closer because closeness with God creates distance from fear.